Good to see all of you here tonight. Uh, my name is Doug McAllister. I attend this church in, in, in you know, wow. Whoa. I will have to pay you later for that one. Um, but they, it's, it's good, awesome. I was during the worship time, whenever I'm speaking someplace, and I, my, one of my first things I try to remember to do is not to sing a lot during worship. How do you not sing with these guys leading worship here? I mean, God. My gosh. What I'm trying to say is if I lose my voice, it's Aaron's fault, just so you know, so we know. But as I was watching you all worship, I was able to look around and just see the hands raised and just, and just to see the looks on your faces. And I tell you, you all blessed me tonight just be, to be able to see that. So we're off to a good start. But right now, let's go to God in prayer and let's kick this thing off. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, so much for you. Oh my gosh, Lord, what, what you mean and, and, and how you have been there for us and all that you went through for us, Lord, and, and how that was all done in the context, Lord, that was not very comfortable for you. It was, thought, it was so uncomfortable that you had to watch your son die just because you loved us. Yeah, Lord, here we are, and we are. Our hands are raised in adoration to you. But, Lord, we're here to hear from you tonight, and I pray, Lord, that's exactly what happens. Get me out of the way. Please, Lord, I, let your spirit do the talking. And we're looking forward, Lord, to seeing exactly what you have in mind for each and every one of us here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. October, October 30th, 1938, there was a radio play on the radio. Who, was, who, who, remember, who remembers uh, the, the War of the Worlds on the radio? Pastor Sam, were you, were you there for that? Okay. <laughs> It was, on, it was on the Columbia Broadcast System. We know that today as, as, the, as CBS. And it featured Orson Welles. And it was a story of an alien invasion, I think, if I remember correctly, that was ha supposed to be happening in Australia. And, and it was set as a news bulletin. And it became famous because it caused mass panic because folks believed it was really happening. History goes back and records the fact, though, that there weren't very many people actually listening to the show to begin with. It became famous for something that had probably never really happened. Last time we were here, we discussed the fact that God has set us free to do his good in our gates. Meaning, as, for those of you who, who haven't been here before, we're talking about the concept of gates. A gate in your life is anywhere where you have an interest. You've seen those cards there, golf, fishing, you name it. That could be a gate for you. It's where you have authority. It's where you have influence. If you're a husband, that's your gate. If you're a father, that's your gate, and on and on it goes. And we talked last time about the fact that we have been set free to do God's good in those gates. Tonight, we're going to look in, in some depth, I think. We're going to talk about the reality of the war surrounding our gates. Now, here, I'm here to tell you that that's probably a story that not enough, of us, not enough of us have listened to so far. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we find the story of Syria is trying to beat up on Israel. And Elisha the prophet is, is, is ruining this king of Syria's plans because by supernatural power, the gifts that God had given Elisha, Elisha was able to, to tell the king of Israel about every move Syria was going to make. And as a result, Israel was winning the war. The king of Syria could not get one up on them. And so at first the king of Syria thought, well, of course we have a spy in the camp. And they said, no, no, there's this guy named Elisha over on the, on the Israel side who, who knows everything you're doing. In fact, he even knows what goes on in your bedroom, which I'm not sure I would want to know that. But Elisha did know that about the king of Syria. 
And so the king of Syria came up with a great plan. You know how sometimes we're trying to fix something and you get a hammer, we hammer on it, it doesn't work, so what do we do? Get a bigger hammer. Well, that's what the king of Syria tried to do. He said, well, it hasn't been working so far, so he decided he would send all of his army to Dothan where Elisha was and he was going to go under cover of night and that was going to trick him. Well, he shows up, he's there, and the morning comes, and, and the, Elisha's servant walks out the door, and he sees this massive army arrayed against him and Elisha. He runs back in the door, oh, my Lord, what will we do? Elisha just smiles and says, don't worry, there's more with us than there are with them. And he prays and asks for the guys, for the servant's eyes to be opened. And the eyes are open, and the servant goes back out, and you know the story. He goes back, and he sees the, the mountains around Elisha saturated with, with fiery horses and chariots, the army of God surrounding the enemy. That was the example of the war of the worlds. Because what happened after all of that, without swinging a sword, Elisha defeated the entire country of Syria. It was a, it was a real war of the worlds. It was waged on, on two fronts, earth and heaven. And when the servant saw the battle for earth, what he saw there convinced him that he could not win. There was no way he could win. And if you think about it, if that's what all you saw, you would have been right there with him. Because what he saw was something that was too big for him. And that's not unlike what we see today. Does it ever feel like the battles are just too big? I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Up in the first slide here, you see a slide, is one of the propositions that we need to vote on in November. It's Proposition 57. Proposition 57 is about early release and parole for non-violent um, offenders. And, you know, you can, do, you can talk about that and what that looks like and if that's good or bad. I'm not here to be political about that at all. That's what Proposition 57 is about, until you read the fine print. Because what it's really trying to get into is trying to get few more guys and gals out of jail. And so they have to redefine some of the um, crimes that were violent. Now they're nonviolent. So let's go on to the next slide to look at what some of those are. Rape by intoxication. Rape of, a, of an unconscious person. Human trafficking involving sex acts with minors. Drive-by shootings. Assault with a deadly weapon. Hostage taking it. And on and on and on it goes. How do we get to the point in California where we have a proposition on our ballot that's going to turn that into nonviolent crimes? And yet that's where we are. That's where we are. It seems too big. How do we fix California? How do we fix that? We don't know which bathrooms to use anymore. We don't know what marriage means anymore. We want the presidential debates. Oh my gosh. Um, Christians forced to close their businesses because they try to stand for Jesus, and on and on it goes. And that doesn't even take into account how do we solve the problem of terrorism or racial discord, and on it goes. And like that servant, we can look at all of that and say, it just feels too big. It just feels too big. Maybe it's time to head for the hills. But for that servant, all of that changed when his eyes were open to the battle for heaven. Because what he saw there convinced him Quite the opposite. Before looking at the battle for earth, he was convinced he could not win because it was too big. When he saw the battle for heaven, he was convinced that he could not lose because what he saw was there was something too big for the enemy. 
And that's something we're going to talk about tonight. I want you to leave here knowing one thing. I want you to know that no matter how bad it might get, in any of our gates, in anywhere where we have to live our lives, no matter how bad it might get, when you engage with heaven, you can't lose. That's what we're going to learn tonight. In this war of the worlds, God will win when we wield the right weapons against the right warriors in our gates. So first of all, let's look and see who the warriors are. There's two teams of warriors in this war. It's a two-battle, two-front battle. There's two teams of warriors. The first team um, of warriors we'll call the, the gatekeepers. It's you and me. We're the gatekeepers, and it's a team. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 talks about, for we do not wrestle. goes on to talk about what we do not wrestle with. But I want you to point out, the, I want to point out the fact that when you read Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about we. We miss that sometimes. When it goes on to talk about what we're not wrestling against and what we are wrestling against, it's we. And so the first part of this team in this battle is we, you and me, in our gates. And the second part is what I would like to refer to as, as God's special forces. Back in 2 Kings chapter 6, the, the, the servant goes out and he sees the mountain full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. There's three things about those special forces that you and I got to remember because they're on our side. This is really cool. First of all, they're loyal to God. That means they care about God's interests. And by the way, God is very interested in you and me. And that means they care about us. They're loyal to God. 2 Kings chapter 19 gives us a hint about how formidable they are. Because there we find about one guy, one of those special forces guys, one of those angels, one of those, those soldiers for God, kills 180,000 Assyrians in one night. Imagine seeing an entire mountain range saturated with those guys. That was just one guy. Remember when Jesus said, I can call down, we were talk, talking about not going to the cross, and he could said, I, I can call down legions of angels right now. Can you imagine what he had the power to do, and he still went to the cross? He didn't go to the cross because he had to, folks. He went there because he loves us. And the third thing about these guys who are loyal to God, Formidable, they are with us. Remember, Elisha said to the servant, Don't be afraid, for there are for those who are with us. And we'll stop there for a second. Because there's something in this text I missed for decades. And it changed a whole lot about how I look at how I deal with everyday life. In that verse, it says in 2 Kings, Do not fear for those who are with us. Are more than those who are with them. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I read this for many years thinking it said, uh, do not be afraid for, their, for those who are with us are more than of them. But that's not what it says, is it? It says, for those who are with them. Who did that servant see when God opened his eyes? Did he just see God's army? There had to be somebody with the army of Assyria, of Syria. So as that servant's there looking out, and he sees this massive army of God, he also sees what God's armies are up against, who was really behind the problem, who was really behind the king of Syria. 
He saw spiritual warfare in action. Who was with Syria? That's the second team. The, I, I refer to them as, they're the gate crashers. We might be the gatekeepers, but they're trying to crash the gates, and that's what's going on in our world today. The enemy wants to take every one of your gates. He wants to take your marriage. He wants to take your family. He wants to take your job, your finances, your health, and on and on and on it goes. He's got a teammate. There may be folks out there who, who, are, who you think are the problem, but there are more with us. There are some with them. Here's the fact. You can never make sense of, let alone, let alone conquer, the realm of the flesh and blood without understanding the root of everything wrong. It's a fleshless enemy. Guys, if you're going to walk around thinking that this is all there is and you're going to try to deal with life as if this is all there is, you will lose. And you don't have to. These enemies that we're dealing with are powerful. It says, when it talks about Ephesians 6, it starts off with saying, we, um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay, I get that. It's not my wife after all. It's something else going on. What do we wrestle against? We wrestle against the principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Oh my gosh, can you hear what that's just saying? Let me say it again. Who we wet wrestle with, who is at the root of trying to take over our gates, are principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you do the word studies and all those words, let me put this in more a different kind of English. Our enemies are super beings with incredible power, depraved rulers of a dark dimension that are not of this world. There's guys here tonight who, before you came here, you had a fight with your wife. There's guys here tonight that, before you came here, you had, a, you had an argument with somebody at work. There's guys here tonight who got a letter in the mail from the bill that you didn't, you, maybe you don't know or you don't know how to pay. And I can go on and on and on with a group this size. I know for a fact that there are guys in this room who are dealing with problems in your gates. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you think that's the source you're going to aim at the wrong enemy. Our enemies, the ones who are behind, who are trying to take over our gates and take them from God, are enemies that are super beings with incredible power, depraved rulers of dark dimensions. And that's pretty intimidating. Except for one thing. They're petrified. They are absolutely petrified. James chapter 2, verse 19, says, You believe in God? You do well. Oh, by the way, the demons believe and tremble. They are petrified. The last thing they want you to know is they're the problem. And the other last thing they want you to know is that God can be the solution. They do not want you to deal with life from a spiritual perspective because they know that if you deal with life from a spiritual perspective, 
you'll beat them every time. They know, they know that they have lost. They're wounded. They know they're going to lose. Here's the problem, though. A cornered animal, wounded animal, with nothing to lose, is very dangerous. That's why Peter tells us to be on our guard. He says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know if what I'm about to tell you is true or not. It may be one of those preacher stories that just kind of circulate, and so we just tell them over and over again until they become true. But it really works, so I'm going to tell this story to you. I have been told that the way a lion pride will hunt is that some of the lions will go around to the other side of the prey and begin to roar. And by their roar will herd the prey in their fear of the roar and as they run away from the roar into the teeth of the rest of the lions. Now, that's a really good story. I hope it's true. But even if it's not, just bear with me for this one. And let's, let's, let's go with it. That's the picture I get when it talks about Satan walking around like a roaring lion. He's trying to inject the fear into us to get us where he wants us. He has nothing to lose. He has four different things he does. And I want you to keep these in mind as you think about life. He has four, I call these, 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 these roars, these ploys, ploys from the pit of hell. The first one is misdirection. He loves misdirection. Think about the king of Syria. The king of Syria has, has been dealing with Elisha all this time. And every, he said, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to get, the, I'm going to get Israel. Elisha says, um, Israel, don't go over there. He's going to be there. Go around and you can get him this way. And they lose the battle. He said, okay, next time I'm going to go over here now and I'm going to, I'm going to beat him over here. And Elisha says to the king of Israel, um, Syria's going to be over here now and this is how you can beat them the next time. Over and over and over again. And so what's he want to do when it comes time to, he's going to get Elisha? We talked about it earlier. He just gets a bigger hammer. It's more of the same. He decides, I'm going to get a bigger army, and I'm going to take it, and we're going to take this guy out. Don't you think Elisha knew what was happening? But yet the king of Syria was misdirected. He, pre he preferred to operate in his war as if the flesh and blood was all there was, while Elisha was operating from the spiritual realm. And I can tell you right now, those who operate in the flesh We'll never be able to compete with those who operate in the spirit, folks. That will never happen. And Elisha knew that. What the enemy wants you to believe is what I'm talking about here tonight is, is like Star Wars. May the force be with you. Nanu, Nanu, and all those other things we hear. That's what the enemy wants you to think. And I'm willing to bet there are some of you even here tonight, as I'm talking about this, this spiritual warfare of the, uh, that's going on around us, as, even as we sit here, some of you are going, oh, my gosh. Star Wars. What's this, where's this guy coming from? Can I tell you something? That thought is straight from the pit of hell. Because that's exactly what he wants you to think. He does not want you aware of the power you have at your disposal to tear down the strongholds he, put, he tries to put up. He doesn't want you to see spiritual reality. The other ploy he uses, the second one, is intimidation. When the servant came out, the first thing he saw was the, this huge army. And he was very, very afraid. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants to scare us into wherever corner of the world he wants us to go. We've been talking for about a month now here at this church about taking care of God's house. 
and, and how important that is to honor God in that way. And our pastor has gone through and laid that out and, that, and did an awesome job doing that. And I can guarantee as we've gone through that, many of us have gone through this process of, I want to do something. I really want to do something to help take care of God's house. And, but I'm afraid that I can't pay my bills if I do something. And so we don't. That's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to think that he wants you to think that one plus one equals two, and maybe in the earthly levels it does, but not in God's economy. Because I can tell you, as a matter of fact, after 50 years of doing it myself, that the times where I had not enough money and I still tithed to my God, I always paid the bills. And I have no clue how that happens. But that's the spiritual realm working. The enemy does not want you to know that. Some of you think about bringing some guys and inviting them just man-to-man next month or even this month. But something kept you back. Maybe it was a fear of rejection, whatever it might be. But it was the enemy using his intimidation to make you fear so you won't do that. And I would encourage you guys, reject it. How do you know that God hasn't been preparing that person to say yes to come? Reject the fear. The third, the third ploy the enemy uses is confrontation. Attacks. That's exactly what Syria did. Syria threw everything he had at Elisha. 2 Corinthians talks about that's what the enemy does to us. Talks about the attacks where we're hard-pressed, we can be perplexed, per persecuted, and struck down. That's what the enemy wants us to feel like. What he doesn't want us to know is the rest of that verse. Because we're hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. We don't have to be in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We can be struck down, but we're not destroyed. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And the fourth ploy he uses, we talked about last month, the accusation. When God calls you to do something, or God's convicting you to do something, or God wants you to do step out in faith and, and, and do something for him, and, and you want to do that, and you feel called to do it, and the next voice you hear is, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Don't you remember when you did this or that? And we think, oh, you're right. How could God ever use me? That's exactly what the enemy wants you to believe about you. But what he doesn't want you to know is that God says, you know what? I take every bit of that and I use every bit of that to qualify you for service. You learn your lessons and I'll make you even better. We'll turn all of that back on Satan to my glory if you'll let me. Amy doesn't want you to know that. The enemy wants you to live in the fear and, and the shame of disqualification. And James tells us how to, how to deal with every one of these ploys. And that is simply this. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will. Not he might. He will. Gentlemen, you have the power in Jesus Christ to win every battle the enemy throws at you. In your marriage, in your homes, at your jobs, you name it, you have that power. If you submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. You stand, God delivers, Satan flees.
I'm going to pause here for a second to try and drive this home before we go on to the next thing. And just briefly, one of the things that was an interesting phenomena that I kind of expected, but it, was, it even surprised me, was after our last man-to-man, I had about between 20 and 40 guys working with me to put this together. After our last man-to-man, it seemed like almost every one of them either emailed me or called me and said, you won't believe what just happened. Now, I'd already been working with most of them, and so they understood what was happening. It was the enemy trying to stop them because they stepped up to lead in this area, in this, in this gate called men's ministry. But it was an interesting phenomenon to see how hot it got, how hot it got for those guys who had taken that step. I mean, for now, if you're one of those guys that knows that you took a step for God and you took a beating because of it, because the enemy tried to stop you, or if or whether it's man-to-man related or not, could you just stand right now? Right now. Those, some of you called me. Those are the guys that are standing right here, and there's others in this room who aren't, and I knew, who do know, I know actually went through some stuff. These guys are examples of guys who have stepped up for God, and the enemy's trying to stop them. You guys can be seated now. The enemy's trying to stop them. He doesn't want them to do what God wants them to do. What do you do about that? Well, let me tell you, you wield your weapons. You wield your weapons. We have a super powerful arsenal of war. Let me tell you what the weapons for, of our war, warfare are not. Second Corinthians chapter 10 basically says it's, they're not carnal. They are not of the flesh. Guys, if you're trying to deal with an argument between you and your spouse and you're doing it in the flesh, you're going to lose. If you're trying to deal with with your finances in the flesh, you're going to lose. Our weapons of warfare are not of the flesh. They are not carnal. That's any weapon that doesn't involve God. Any any tactic, any reasoning that doesn't involve God is is destined for failure. Because the enemy is too big for us on our own. Here's what our weapons are. Ephesians chapter 6 goes into, a, talks about the armor of God, the belt of truth, the ble- breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and goes on to be prayer. It's the armor. Now, guys, we normally see armor as, as defensive, but I believe that God has weaponized this armor to enable us to go on the offensive because it talks later on in, cha- in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians that these things and more that the Bible talks about that are at our disposal to win are mighty in God. They pull down strongholds. They cast down arguments. It casts down every high thing that exalts itself against God. It brings thoughts into captivity to Jesus and punishes all disobedience. God weaponizes things, infuses his power into these things for us to conquer. What do I mean? What makes worship good? What makes, is it, the, is it the music, the words? I mean, tonight we experienced the musical worship here. What was cool about that? I mean, what made that so awesome? It was awesome, but what made that so awesome? Why did Jesus need three disciples to go pray with him on Gethsemane. He was God. He had a pretty close connection to heaven. Why did he need help? 
Why is it that when we worship on our own, it's awesome, but when we get together, it's, oh my gosh, holy cow, it's even better? Or, or how about this? I can't tell you the times I've been going through struggles in my life. I'll be sitting at my desk and just, just under stress and feeling the oppression. You've all felt that. You know what I mean. And my Bible is right there. And I can almost hear it yelling up at me, pick me up, pick me up. And it's like, and, I, and the other side's going, what good would that do? What good would that do? And it's this battle going back and forth. Why is it that almost the moment I reach for that Bible, the oppression begins to go? Why is that? It's a book. What is it about that, reaching for that, that, what is that? I've asked myself those questions my entire life, and I think that's probably something we have to consider. Could there be more to these things than what we've considered in the past? I think sometimes we have over-religionized things we're familiar with, like prayer, worship, praise, fasting, service, and more. When we say the words of a prayer, the notes of a song, or the, the sentiment of praise, or the act of service, or sacrifice, or giving, or whatever we might be doing, it is my opinion, and this isn't Doug's opinion at this point, I think I can back this up in Scripture, and I'm going to try to do that tonight. But it's in my opinion that when we do those things, we reach into the spiritual realm, and we breach the wall. And as we reach into the spiritual realm, from the physical realm, into God, we reach into that, and we breach that wall that stands between the physical and the spiritual, I believe we unleash heaven. I believe we unleash heaven. I believe there is a power to the act of the reaching that unleashes heaven on earth. You're having an argument with your wife. Some of you have actually experienced this where you said, wait a minute, let's stop and pray. Before you have even prayed, the mood has changed. You have reached into the, the spiritual and begin to unleash heaven on your marriage, unleash heaven on your jobs, unleash heaven on your children. This lamp is in my, normally in my office at home, and, and it's, you know, it's one of my wife's projects, which she does quite often. She took this thing, and when she got it, it didn't look anything like this, but she fixed it up, and she painted it. And it's, it's a nice lamp. It, it really is. You know, it, it, it works, but it's not shining right now. In fact, science tells us the only reason we could see this lamp is because light's shining on it. The only thing I know to do to, make to fix that is I take this, this plug right here that has these prongs on it. Use your imagination. You've seen it before. <laughs> and I penetrate, I reach in through this cord. The only difference between this and this is the power. When we reach in to the spiritual realm through our service, through prayer, the study of the word, it's more than just about getting smarter about Jesus, folks. I'm done with that being the final goal. What I want to see is what does Jesus want to do with my life in that knowledge? Where's that power to be injected into me? I want to pull this into my life and the power of God to illuminate me for him. That's what I call the the 
unleashing of heaven, when you can bring that light into the world. That's what's that song say? When your back is against, against the wall and you don't know what to do, just say Jesus. Well, there's a, there's a truth to that. Because by calling upon that, that act of that, when you do those kinds of things, I call those acts of war. Your praise, your worship. It changed my life in worship. When I, you know, you come to, you come to worship time sometimes, and you know, you're not really into it. You're kind of tired that day, and, or, or you don't know the song or, or whatever. And so it kind of dictates what kind of worship time you're going to have that Sunday or whatever it might be. But when I got to start thinking, you know what? If I am worshiping God and the act of my worship, the act of that worship is, is, is unleashing heaven on earth, it is an act of war that is pushing back the gates of hell, I can get into that. I can really get into that. And if that's just me, now it's all of us. As I watched all of you raise your hands and worship tonight, you know what I saw? The gates of hell falling. Because that's what happens when we as men of God stand in those gates and we inject God's power and we unleash heaven in those gates. Those gates will stand and, and Satan's will fall every time. But I'm going to, you know, you might see me get a little passionate about this because this is war. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus goes on to say, the guys, you've got to understand, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And there's violent folks trying to take it by storm. There's violence going on. And I, ha well, let's put it this way. When you have an enemy that's at war with you, you'd better be at war with your enemy. Otherwise, you're just a soft target. So guys, let me ask, ask us to do one thing as guys here tonight. Let's stop sissifying Christianity. He is our Abba Father, and I love that. And he loves us, and I love that. And he, 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 he wants to be there in our hard times. And our, I, I, I love all of that. But you know what else God is? Our commander-in-chief. And he's called upon us, every one of us, to stand in our gates on a war footing, to meet spiritual violence and fight it back with spiritual violence, using the weapons of warfare that he's given us, whether it's the prayer or the worship. But it's time for us, guys, to go on the offensive. I want to introduce you to my little friend. Yeah, not that one. Yeah. Ugh. If I can open it up here, my little friend. It's my little friend. He's my, my son-in-law is in is in Spain right now. He's in the Navy, and they were with us last Christmas. And he gave me this. He, he says it's my ATD. It's my anti-terrorist device. And he said that as long as I have this with me, I'll never get attacked by a terrorist. And so far, so good. <laughs> but I've noticed something about this edged weapon. I've noticed that wherever it is, somebody else better not be. As I wield this weapon, if you get where this weapon is, you're going to get cut as we wield those weapons. My little friend has been, you know, very sharp. But I've got another friend. Let me introduce you to my, my big friend. It's the Word of God. 
That is sharper than a two-edged sword. And gentlemen, you wield this weapon. You learn those words. You learn those promises. I will tell you that wherever you put those to work, the enemy cannot stand. God will not allow him to stand where you have this weapon. Same for prayer. Same for praise. Gentlemen, we need to learn to wield these weapons for God. The aftermath of all of this, God tells us that we are going to be more than conquerors. Romans chapter 8. Elisha, if you read the rest of the story there in, in, um, in 2 Kings, you'll see that Elisha conquered all of Assyria without ever pulling out his sword, his physical sword. We can be more than conquerors. But you say to me, Doug, you know, Doug, look around. That list I gave you of, what, of Prop 57 and all of the stuff we see on the news every day, it's too late. It's too big. We can't win. Now, if you're honest, there's many of you who have felt that way as you look at the news. But let me tell you something. For God's gatekeepers, when a thing must be done, the fact that it is impossible is irrelevant. Let me say that again. For God's gatekeepers, for a thing, if a thing must be done, the fact that it is impossible is irrelevant. We must save our marriages. We must save our families. We must save our country. We must save our gates. These things must be done. We don't look at those like the servant did and said, oh, my Lord, what will we do? We look at it like Elisha said, there are more with us than there are with them, and we can make this happen in the power of God. Guys, don't quit. It's time for us to stand. It's time for us to stand and do what God has empowered us to do. And it starts in our gates, wielding our weapons effectively. We've been set free to do God's good in our gates. That means standing in those gates, standing on a war footing in those gates, wielding the right weapons that God has given us, not just for, <laughs> so we can feel better about ourselves, so God's power can be imputed through that and we can unleash, unleash heaven on what Satan's trying to accomplish. I try to imagine what I'll feel like when I get to heaven. Now, I get it. You know, it's, it's going to be all about Jesus. I, I know that. Everything else is going to go because I just want to cuddle up with him. You know, it's all going to be about Jesus. But for now, let's put that aside for a second, trying to think about what am I going to feel about like when I get to heaven. I, I can tell you right now, I suspect I might have this instant of, oh, my gosh, because I will see finally with unveiled eyes the war. I will see how horrible it was. Guys, we sit here right now and we don't have that much of a clue. We see lights and we see screens and, and stuff. We don't know when we don't see what's going on around this building at this moment. I get to heaven, oh my gosh, when I finally see what's going on. 
And that's going to be followed by an eternity of feeling really silly. Because I'm going to feel real silly about the fact that it was all that power that God had to offer. These uber-powerful weapons that he said, here they are, that we've reduced to religious artifacts called prayer and worship and service and tithing and fasting and on and on and on it goes. We had those weapons at our disposal. I'm going to feel real silly <laughs> that I didn't use them. You know what else I'm going to feel silly about? I'm going to feel super silly that I was ever afraid to go to battle. Here's what I know. That we have no idea what good can be done in our gates for God until you pick up your weapons. Until you pick up your weapons and you wield them for effect at a war footing in the gates that God has given you responsibility for, until you do that, you will have no idea the massive amount of good you can be done, the kind of good that God puts you on this earth to accomplish. I want to encourage you tonight. I want to encourage you to make a commitment to look at your Bibles differently, to look at worship differently. To, to, to look at your, um, your prayer time differently. I want you to think, and just, just, just try as you're doing this going forward, to think, as I am praying to God, even those times where I'm not even sure the words I have to use, I don't even know what to say, but as I am praying to God, I want you to consciously think and, look, and think about the fact that as I'm doing this, I am pushing back the darkness. I am wielding the weapon of prayer. I may not, ha I, I may not be very good at it, I don't care. I'm pushing back the darkness. As I pick up my Bible to study it, I am pushing back the darkness. This is about war, a war that we can win. We can save this country. We can save these homes. We can save our marriages. And I challenge you to pick up your weapons. And if you do, prepare to be amazed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I trust that your message got through. I trust that we all understand that um, we're either warriors or, or soft targets. That if we're soft targets, we can't win, Lord. But if we're warriors with your power, we can't lose. And there is nothing in our world, in our culture, in any part of our life that cannot be taken back for you. Oh, dear God. Let's, let this be a group of men who is done with mediocrity for you. Let this be a group of men who is, who is done losing. Let this be a group of men who understands that they can take up their weapons, Jesus, and through your power, unleash heaven where hell tries to reign. We thank you, Lord, that, that you, for whatever reason, have involved us in this. But now, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes so that we can see that there are more with us than with them. To open our eyes to see who the real enemy is and, and go after that enemy and not our wives or our kids or our boss or our finances or you name it, Lord. But to focus our aim on the real enemy in your power and your love, Jesus. 
May we see lives changed. May we see marriages saved. May we see health regained. May we see finances turned around. Whatever it might be, Lord, we look to you and your power. We ask you to unleash your power tonight in this room among these men. Then we can see what you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I know you enjoyed that. Um, before we change the order of things, I want to stop for just one minute. And I want you to think about what you've heard tonight because I think as you sat there, some of you, as he plugged this in, some of you had the light come on inside of you. And you realize maybe there's an area of my life that it's the way it is because I haven't been fighting. Doug, thank you so much for opening up our eyes to realize that when we step out of carnal things and we take steps of faith into spiritual things, God always honors that. And that begins the battle. That begins the battle. Did you know God never intended for you to lose battles? We lose battles because we believe we're going to lose and we give up. And I shared this several weeks ago in our church, but I just feel it's so important to tie up this evening with this thought the only power the only authority that the enemy has in your life is what you believe he has and you give it to him it's the opposite of faith is what it is and the only power God has in your life is what you believe he has and what you give to him through your faith and I think tonight all of us maybe had a light come on is wow there's an area of my life where I need to fight back. I need to fight back. Some of you have been in battle for a long time and didn't even realize it. Maybe it's just complacency. Maybe you've had your eyes closed. Whatever it is. But as Doug was sharing tonight, I think the light came on in a lot of our hearts and a lot of our minds. And we realized, wow, I need to fight back in this area. Doug's already led you in a prayer. I don't need to pray again, but here's what I want you to do. Maybe... Maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've never committed your life to the Lord. Or maybe there's an area of your life that you've never given back to Him. And Doug mentioned it. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil. Before you can resist the devil, you've got to submit yourself to God. I, want to, I don't need you to pray this with me, but I want to pray this for you because I think right now, maybe you just need to wrap your heart around these words and just hear it and take the steps of faith you need to take. But real quickly, I want to ask everybody here, just open your heart for a moment. Father, cross this room. Tie our hearts around the battles that you want us to win. If it's marriage, if it's work, if it's our family, if it's, it's something with an employee or an employer, a, a co-worker, if it's something going on with our kids at school, if it's a neighbor, if it's a family member, God, whatever it is, I pray right now that we'll stop sitting on the sidelines and we'll get in the game and start fighting back. Tonight, we determine we're not going to give up. We're not going to lose. But I'm going to fight for this gate. I'm going to occupy this gate. And I'm going to stay in this gate until the battle is won. And God, you're going to give us victory. Father, I pray for people right now who, who are committing their hearts and their lives to you. Father, as they open their hearts right now, God, just begin to walk them into this new place of faith where they would know you. For others who are 
rising up to fight. God, just encourage us to move forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.